Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. While uh, I was at the UMJC conference in Chicago, um, that our air conditioning gave out. Uh, Raise your hand if you were here during that time. Okay, and uh, I, I heard also that everyone had a nice time meeting downstairs. It was a little cooler. Apparently, we had some fans. And uh, instead of us being a source of kvetching, right, the people saw it as an opportunity to enjoy the intimacy. Everyone I talked to said they, they really enjoyed it um, and that it wasn't too, too hot down there. So thank you for being an awesome community. I think, it, I think it's great. I think it reflects the kind of family that we are, right? We're not a family of kvetchers, but we're a family of praisers. Amen? Right? And I also heard uh, that one of our, of course, one of our elders remained back here in Richmond, Robert Ramos, and I, I heard that he went around, actually, to everyone to make sure that they were comfortable downstairs. So he went up to each person, and he said, you know, are you comfortable? To which each one replied, yes, thank you, Robert. And then he went to the next one, and yes, yes, I'm comfortable, until he asked a, an older Jewish gentleman, and he said, sir, are you comfortable? And he got the reply, eh, I make a living. Okay, so that, that might be a, an apocryphal story. Uh, I'm not sure. But speaking of comfort, did you know that there are two special Shabbats around this time? Today is a very special Shabbat. It's called Shabbat Chazon, which means Shabbat of vision. And next week is Shabbat Nachamu, meaning Shabbat of comfort. I just, yeah, all right, stay with me here. Okay, Shabbat of comfort. So where does this come from? Well, there's two reasons. One reason is that these Shabbats surround Tish Ba'av, what, the, the, um, the, uh, what we're going to be celebrating, not celebrating, ugh, that's such a bad word, right? We're going to be commemorating or recognizing uh, in the small sanctuary on Monday, right? And so the two Shabbats around Tish B'Av um, are, are named after that. Uh, Tish B'Av is a very serious, traditional day of mourning. In fact, the Shabbat before Tish B'Av, this today, is also known as the Black Sabbath, by which I don't mean, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, but rather... Uh, uh, a Shabbat of deep mourning and repentance, second only to Yom Kippur. And I thought it was very interesting that, uh, I don't know if David Haller knew this, but the, the, the prayer, um, the song that they did, I thought was very appropriate, based on Psalm 51. Do, do you remember that? When it's, we're asking for God's forgiveness for his Holy Spirit to come. Um, the other reason for these names, the Shabbat of vision and the Shabbat of comfort, is that uh, these Shabbats are named after the Haftarah portions, otherwise known as Haftorah. 
That is the traditional readings from the prophets. And of course, those were organized uh, around either the theme for the Torah portion, so they relate, the prophet reading relates to that, or it relates to what's going on in the Jewish calendar. And in this case, that would be Tisha B'Av. So, are we clear what we're talking about here? Okay. Um, so, uh, at a non-Messianic synagogue, you would hear a reading from the Torah, which uh, today was at the beginning of Deuteronomy, like we read. And you would also hear a reading from another section of the Hebrew Bible, usually related, as I said, to the Torah portion or to the calendar. Some Messianic synagogues do a reading from all three. So you have the Torah, the prophets, and the Gospels. But there, uh, these congregations, you know, they have longer services, I suppose, because their oneg is not as award-winning as ours, so they're not as excited to get to lunch. But of course, here at Tikvat, we read from the Torah and the Gospels. But in any event, these Shabbats, today and next week, are named after the beginning of the Haftarah portion, which jumps around in the book of Isaiah, all right, for the next coming week. So Shabbat Chazon, the Shabbat of vision today, is so named because of the Haftarah portion found at the very beginning of Isaiah. This is chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the Haftarah portion for today, if we have it up. Thank you, Robert. The vision, see the first word? That's what it's, why it's called Shabbat, a vision. Concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, and the donkey its owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Next week, the Shabbat of Comfort, we will read from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40. It jumps to 40 and stays in that area for a while. And uh, this is what it says at the beginning of that Haftorah portion. Comfort, comfort, my people. Nachamu, nachamu. Try that. Very good. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And in between these two, of course, we have Tishba Av, the ninth of Av, a day when we recognize many tragedies that have fallen on our people. First and foremost, the destruction of the temple, both the first temple and the second temple. So, new? What's the big deal about the destruction of the temple? Why should we mourn that, right? What's, what's the importance of Tish B'Av and these special Shabbats? Well, first, we have to try to understand the importance of the temple during the time of Yeshua, which is referred to as Second Temple Judaism, which would tell us how central the temple was during that time. So, Mishpucha, how do you feel when you drop your cell phone accidentally and you hear that? How does that feel? Feels terrible. You've lost your communication device, the way you keep in touch with people. What if somebody texts you, calls you, 
You're cut off. This must be what they mean when they talk about excommunication. It's tough, right? Well, the temple was our communication device with God. It's the center of God's presence. It's where he met with us. Rabbi Dan Juster believes that the temple is the site of Pentecost, the Shavuot during Acts chapter 2, when the fullness of the Ruach came down on the children of Jacob. Not in the upper room, as is traditionally said, but actually in the temple, because the upper room would not have had space for all of those people to gather. And this would make sense because Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he centers his narrative of Yeshua, his gospel, around the temple. The temple, remember, is the center of sacrifice, where the high priest makes intercession for Israel, where the throne of God was, the mercy seat, where the two tablets of the covenant of Moses were kept, the holy of holies. Judaism actually had a huge crisis after the destruction of the second temple in the year 70 CE, as if they dropped their giant cell phone, right? Can we picture that? They had no cell phone. It's like the heavenly cell phone, and they had no Apple Care. They had no warranty. Many Christian theologians have historically taken the destruction of the temple as a sign that God was kind of taking his focus off of Israel for a while and onto the Christians. Of course, if God is covenantally faithful to Israel, he'll be faithful to the nations. So this conclusion is not too logical. Amen? Okay. So what is a balanced way to see the destruction of the first or the second temple or the exile, which is the focus of our mourning period during Tishbaav? How should we view this? The Haftorah portion offers a clue. Before the exile, Isaiah tries to warn us to get our act together in this week's Parsha for the Shabbat of vision. And this is what it says in the next part of Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your your, your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hmm. So do we think that the Israelites followed this advice? Did they kind of get their act together? Did they come, did they say, okay, let's reason together and let's uh, pursue the forgiveness of God and let's repent? No, that's what the second part of Isaiah has to do with. Amen? Okay, so next week's Parsha for the Shabbat of Comfort, it occurs after the destruction of the first temple and the exile, which was the punishment, the consequence of them not following Isaiah's advice in chapter 1. So the Israelites are in pretty bad shape here, and this is an excerpt, um, some excerpts from this portion in Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 26. This is next week's Haftarah portion. 
Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like what? grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. There's a lot going on here, isn't it? Hashem is comforting Israel after all their disobedience. So they're all, they're all in exile. They're all, the, 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 the temple has been destroyed, and they're outside of the land. And he comforts them by calling them grasshoppers. One chapter later, he calls Jacob a worm. Is that comforting to you? Isaiah 41.14 says, Don't be afraid, you worm Jacob. Little Israel, do not fear. I suppose do not be afraid is comforting, but why does Hashem have to call us a worm? Here's the point. Compared to God, we're just like worms, like grasshoppers. Raise your hand if you've ever crushed a little bug, right? They're puny. They're gross. And they are powerless before the almighty flip-flop or rolled-up newspaper. Whap! But God doesn't crush us. He could. He's certainly powerful enough. But he doesn't. He disciplines us. He might take away our cell phone, the temple. He might cast us out of the land of milk and honey for our gross sins of idolatry and hurting the poor. But he's not going to wipe us out. It's the same comfort of the mourner's cottage that I read a few minutes ago. You ever notice that it never says anything actually about the mourners? Yikadal, Yitkadash, Shemei Rabbah, magnified, sanctified be his great name in the world which he has created according to his will. Our comfort is in the sovereignty and power and covenantal love of God. I don't know about you, but I take great solace in that. You know, I may be the only one, but you know, sometimes... I feel just like a gross worm. Can't do anything right. Falling short as a husband. Falling short as an associate rabbi, as a child of God. You know, God doesn't comfort me by saying, David, you're not a, a little worm. You're not a little grasshopper. In fact, you're amazing. You're the best husband there ever was. That really wouldn't be that comforting. And to be honest, it wouldn't really be that true. 
But God does remind me that he's in control, that he's sovereign. He's got a plan. And even though he may discipline the children of Israel or the disciples of Yeshua, he will never, ever give up on them. And that gets my focus off of myself and onto my Savior, my Redeemer, my Comforter. The other interesting thing about the upcoming Haftarah portions, traditionally called the Haftarot of Comfort or Consolation, is that they start talking about someone referred to as the servant of Adonai, starting in uh, Isaiah 40 and mostly in 49 through 53. That's okay. You can uh, leave it. Leave it for now, Robert. We don't need it up right now. Or Gordon. Thank you. All right. Uh, David Stern's commentary on these passages says, quote, Though God has declared Israel to be his servant, according to the sages, the Targum, that is the um, traditional Jewish writings, sees this passage as speaking of the ministry and function of God's Messiah. In other words, David Stern is saying that non-Messianic Jewish writings identify this servant as the Messiah. Okay, continuing. This chapter, 42, marks the beginning of Isaiah's servant songs, 49 through 53. The servant songs describe the responsibility of the Messiah to establish justice, enlighten those in darkness, restore national Israel, and bring salvation to all peoples, to be a reminder that he will trust in Adonai for vindication in the face of humiliation of those who oppose him, and finally, to bring redemption to the world and be exalted by God because he has provided atonement for all through his sacrificial death, unquote. So here are some excerpts from the servant songs. This, uh, these are the parashot coming up. This is from Isaiah 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. This is going to be read in two weeks. This is from Isaiah 49. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and gather Israel to himself. So how can the servant be Israel if he's gathering Israel. It's got to be the Messiah, right? Are we, are we in agreement with that? For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation, my Yeshua, may reach to the ends of the earth. Now, that one should be familiar to all of you who were here last week. But notice the way that God comforts Israel with his sovereignty and covenantal love. Hashem says, I took you out of the land, but I'm going to bring you back in. You messed up, but I'm going to restore you, Israel. And I'm going to use you to bless all the nations of the earth, to redeem all things under my throne. And I'm going to raise up my servant, not just Israel, but the Messiah, the anointed one from the children of Israel to accomplish this redemption in fullness. So 
looking at the Haftarah portions coming up, we've got, uh, let's see, 49 through 50, and then we've got uh, chapter 54, and then 51 through 52. There's, there's one missing there? Huh. Of course, we can't read through the whole book of Isaiah and complete the entire prophets in one year, but it does, it does feel like we've skipped over something, doesn't it? Yes. Isaiah 53 is traditionally left out of the reading cycle. Why is that? Well, there are several theories. I'm not entirely sure. Um, one uh, website I looked on, uh, through, I think it was through Chabad, he said, well, Isaiah 53 is, is not really about comfort, so it doesn't fit the theme. Well, I find it to be a very comforting section. And it continues the motif of the servant of Adonai in 49 through 52. So I figured it would fit right into the sermon. Would you agree? Okay. So here are some excerpts from Isaiah 53. It actually begins at the previous chapter, uh, 52 verse 13, which is also of course, left out of the Haftarah portions in a traditional synagogue. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness, he was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So what is the comfort that God brings to Israel to comfort them after they have lost their temple, after they have been exiled, scattered among the nations as a result of their gross disobedience? The sovereignty and covenantal love of God as expressed through the messianic servant of Isaiah. This servant 
would restore Israel to the land. He would bring healing to all the nations of the earth. He would remove and atone for Israel's sins. And in that great mystery, as Paul describes it, provide a way for all nations to enter into a temple reality, relationship with God through the servant Messiah. The servant would be rejected. He would die a humiliating, painful death to make atonement for Israel and all nations. This servant, through his pain, is our comfort. Through his woundedness, our consolation. This servant would lead the way to the full redemption of all things, the restoration of the creation under the throne of Hashem, justice and peace, physical and emotional healing. And he would accomplish this by his sacrificial death. I think God is calling. If you know who this is, then shout his name. I said, if you know who this is, shout his name. I only heard one person. Let me try that again. Who is this, who is this servant? I want to extend an invitation. If you were compelled by the description of this servant to pray with me in your heart, to accept Yeshua as the Messiah, accept him as the servant who suffered for our sins and was raised to life to make us right with God and redeem all things on earth back to God. And if you pray this with me for the first time, I want to invite you to see me or Robert or David Haller, one of the elders, after service so we can encourage you in your walk with God. And now I want to encourage all of us, when the temple is destroyed, when we're down and out, continue to look to Yeshua, the suffering servant, for our comfort, for our healing, and our restoration. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and our King, we acknowledge, we acknowledge that we have fallen short. We acknowledge that the punishment that we deserve is upon Yeshua. When he went to the tree, which is commonly called the cross, he took on our punishment that we deserve. It was as if he said, no, all of those wrong things that you have thought and all of those evil things that you have done and things that I told you to do that you didn't do, it was as if he said, no, I did those things. And my servant, my, my children, they are innocent. And I'm going to take the punishment for them. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to come. Convict us of the things that we have done wrong. That we can repent. We have caused your temple to be destroyed by our wickedness. We have gone into exile by our own faults, O oh God. And we're saying, forgive us, Lord. And we ask for the full 
forgiveness to come in the name of Yeshua by trusting in him, trusting in his sacrifice. Oh, God.